Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. If your Bibles turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our text verse will be verse 6. Our topic tonight is the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. It's kind of difficult to do a study on the Godhead and not consider the mediator, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Anybody want to read verse 6? 2 Corinthians 6. I'm sorry, 4, verse 6. Philip, would you mind reading it one more time, please? Thank you, Phyllis. I heard what you said the first time, but I wanted to read it again for emphasis. Uh, first of all, notice the first two words. What does it say? For God. For God. Who is that? Yeah, the creator of everything. Now, we know Paul is writing, and he's writing initially to the church of Corinth, but he's also writing to us. And he says, the same God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. When did that happen? In the beginning. Everything was dark, and what did God say? Let there be light. And so... As we consider this Godhead, we have to consider Jesus Christ. And what's interesting, the same God who back at creation commanded the light to shine out of darkness, Paul says that same God has shined into our hearts. Now, folks, that's, a, that's revolutionary. Don't miss that. Now, first of all, when God said, let there be light, what happened? There was light. And light expels darkness. Isn't that true? And Paul says what you need to realize as Christians, that very same God who back during creation time commanded the light to shine out of darkness is the same God who is now shining lights into our hearts. But Paul says there's a reason he does that. He does that that he might give the knowledge of the glory of God. Now, let that sink in for a moment. I mean, first of all, we know that God is uh, unsearchable. His ways are past finding out. Uh, we cannot come up with those adjectives to, to describe how awesome our God is. And we, know, we, we read of the glory of God, and yet uh, we certainly uh, can't even begin to wrap our mind around it. And, but it's interesting you know, the, the same God who, sh- who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has now shining in our hearts, and He's given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. God says, I want you to know something about me. Now think about that, folks. First of all, if God chose to never reveal Himself to us, how can we know Him? You can't. But God wanted us to know Him. He wanted us to have the knowledge of His glory. So where we find it at, that verse tells us, we find it in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now remember, we believe the Bible teaches, and we and from Timothy, that God's word is inspired. It's breathed out by God, uh, not as man wanted to write, but God breathed His word out. And here in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six, uh, Paul does use the imagery of light and darkness. And of course, we can tell even from our text tonight that this uh, this verse, this imagery here, is the is a picture of the light uh, that came and darkness that came from the creation story itself. God commanded light back then to shine. And guess what he does now? He shines it in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Now, first of all, in creation, it was dark, it was void. And when God spoke light into darkness, he brought order out of chaos, order out of chaos of darkness, and all he said was, let there be light. And it was. So, back in creation, God was piercing the chaos of evil with the light of his truth. Well, let me back up. Evil wasn't there yet. But now, through Jesus Christ, God is now piercing chaos of evil with the light of his truth. Now, think about that. Kind of a rhetorical question, is our world evil? Yes. Was it evil when Christ came into our world? Yes. Yes. But the key is, even in the midst of that chaos and darkness, God has pierced it with the light of Jesus Christ. Now remember, light exposes, does it not? Light manifests different things. It exposes falsehood. Light exposes evil for what it is. And by the way, evil at its, at its root is simply a perversion of good. And light exposes that. Ephesians 5, verse 13 and 14. Anybody got that? Thank you, Dan. Now, I find it kind of interesting, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and reminds them and us as well, that everything or anything that is reproved is because light has exposed it. It is manifested, it's revealed by light. And so if it's exposed, it does it because light does exactly that. And then Paul, Paul goes on to say, hey, wake up. We have to understand, if we wake up, Christ is going to give us light. Light exposes evil. Light shows us where to walk. And it's interesting, those who trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, become children of light. We live in the light, and we allow the light of God to judge all of our actions. We live our lives in light of the Word of God and the light of His truth. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. (laughs) 
Don't you love how extremely practical Paul is? He takes theology, which is good, and he says, look, there was a time you lived in darkness. And there was. That was true for all of our lives. And Paul says, that was then. And Paul says, now that you're saved, you are light in the Lord. You're in the light of the Lord. Now, let me stop here for a moment. We were in darkness, and now because of salvation, our position has changed. We are now living in the light of the Lord. And Paul says, the last for that verse, because that is true. How should we react to that? According to that verse. We need to live. We need to walk like we're children of light. Now remember, we're declared righteous by faith. We're justified by faith. Faith alone. We become children of light by faith. And Paul says we are. We are light in the Lord. And Paul says since you are, you need to live that way. You need to walk as children of the light. Allow that light that you're walking in now, allow it to change the way you live. I mean, measure everything you do against the light of God. Allow it to judge the directions you go, the steps you take. Paul talks about the same thing when he wrote the letter, First Thessalonians 5, look at verse 5. Do you see a contrast here? Two groups, what are they? Light and darkness. And Paul said, hey, understand something. We are no longer children of darkness. We don't walk in the night. We are children of the light, and we are children of the day. Now we begin back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, and there it was emphasized that this light Paul was talking about was the brightness of the glory of God that is seen in the faith of Jesus Christ. I remember, before I got saved, and and there still is, but there was so much I didn't understand. I, I always felt like if a person gets saved, they ought to live like it. They ought to act like it. Uh, because what's one of the things we hear a lot about a lot of church people? Exactly. They're hypocrites. And that's not always true. We know that. And I always felt like, Lord, if I'm going to get saved, because I didn't realize it wasn't my work anyway, it's his work. But I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I don't want to li- say one thing and live another. And so what we understand, we don't understand how that works. I don't remember who, I don't, she didn't give her name, but it was a, a pastor's wife. They were interviewing, somebody was interviewing her. I guess she might have been on an airplane and, uh, or somewhere where someone was asking her a question. They found out she was a pastor's wife. And so this fella says, so you don't drink. She said, I drink all I want to. He said, so you don't smoke. She said, I smoke all I want to. And she said, he said, so you don't, uh, Mess around with other men. She said, I do it as much as I want to. <laughs> but you know what her final statement was? I don't want to. I just don't want to. I remember when I was first saved, uh, I don't know if it, some of you remember him, Pierce Fields, become my mentor as a young Christian. 
And he said one time, and it took me a while for it to catch on. He said, one thing I give God praise for, when he, when he saved me, he talked about himself, he said, he changed my want to. And then when I realized, it dawned on me, you're right. He changes our want to. And, you know, we don't understand, but the, the truth of the matter is, it's, it's the light of Christ that shines in our heart, and it, it, it helps us, if you will, to illuminate our understanding as we walk hand in hand with Christ. Now remember, it's only those who allow their minds not to be clouded by Satan's dark deceptions uh, and think the message is obscure, because we know that God has come to give us light. So it's interesting, God illuminates our minds, the minds of all believers, so that we would know without a doubt that in Jesus' face, we will see the glory of God. Now, if you've been here on Sunday night the last week or so, uh, we've been looking at the praise of Emmanuel, God with us. And we have to understand something, folks. Jesus Christ is God with us. And so it's in his face we see the glory of God. Now remember, God caused the light to shine back at creation. He expelled the darkness. And now 2,000 years ago in the midst of an evil, corrupt world, he sent light through Jesus Christ. And it's in the face of Jesus Christ, the fullest revelation of what, who God is and what he is, is made now in the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 18 helps us out with that. Thank you, Dan. Now, uh, our English version says he has declared him. The Greek literally reads, he explained him. Christ explained God. So, what is John saying? John is saying that the Son is, the S-O-N, is God's explainer. He came to explain God. He came to earth. He lived among men. And he lived among us to explain God to us. And he did it with his words. And he did it by his person, the life he lived while he was here on earth. He came, declared, and explained God to humanity. And oh, what a God he is. Oh, what a God he is. Now, here's something we need to remember, folks. And thank God for grace. Because no one, no one, absolutely no one, can know God apart from Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, you got to know who? Jesus Christ. Because Christ is God's explainer. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared, He has explained Him. Now this whole thought began back in verse 1. 
as we think about Christ being God's explainer. Because in verse 1, the Son is called the Word. By the way, what when you think of words, what do you think of? Say what now? Okay. Okay. That again? The way we communicate. All of this is involved. How do you explain things? With words. And you can do your actions. Now, as, you know, if, if, if you know, we're in a, in a, a regularly in a group of people, uh, maybe we meet every week like we do here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, whatever. But if someone never says anything, never says a word, no matter, you know, always to themselves, keep quiet, what do we know about them? Nothing. Words explain us. They declare us. And so John said, in the beginning was the Word. Again, an expression of God, Christ was, he was the communicator of God. Words communicate. But also understand, we're not talking just about mere intellectual knowledge. We're not talking about mere intellectual apprehension of God. Uh, because one man can communicate that to another. We can tell people there is a God. We can tell people Jesus died for their sins. But does that make it real to them? No. It takes more than that. And so when we're talking about this kind of knowledge that God wants us to have, this knowledge of the glory of God, it can only happen through spiritual discernment. We can't explain it. We cannot teach it. We can talk about it. But this has to come through spiritual discernment and it must be imparted by the Holy Spirit because God must shine in our hearts to give us that kind of intimate knowledge. Now, by the way, and I didn't really do a word study on this, but unless I miss my guess, uh, and I can say without, I think without being afraid to say this, anywhere it talks about knowing Christ is talking more than intellectual knowledge. It's talking about having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. More than with your mind, but with your whole being. So it's spiritually discerned. It's imparted by the Holy Spirit. And God must shine in our hearts to make that knowledge happen. Now, how many are glad he does? Amen. He wants to reveal his glory to us. And he does it through the face of Jesus Christ. We see God's glory through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, probably one of my favorite passages in the book of John. Uh, Jesus, you know, know the story. He began by saying, let not your heart be troubled. You think their hearts were troubled? You know they were. He had told them in John 13, I'm going to go away. And he said, where I'm going to go right now, you can't come right now. And then it just tore their heart out. So in John 14, he says, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. He reminds them, yeah, he's going away. He'll prepare a place. But he says, if I go away, I'll do what? I'll come again. And they begin to discuss some things, and, and they weren't sure about what the way was. So they had some questions. Look at, uh, in verse 8, John 14, look what Philip said to him.
Okay? Jesus had already said, you believe in God, believe also in me. You know what he's saying to them? Just as much as you believe in God, you can believe in me. To the extent you trust him, trust me. And Philip, and, and of course I think he's speaking for all of them here, not just him. He said, Lord, if you'll just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. We will be satisfied. Verse 9, Jesus answered, what's he say to him in verse 9 to Philip? What's it, what, how did, what, do you, what do you see here? What did Jesus say to Philip? Yeah. <laughs> Three and a half years, Philip. And again, we're not going to read it again, but John 1.18, Christ came to explain God. For three and a half years, Jesus has explained God to them. And, and Dan, you're right, by this time, and he's not just speaking to Philip, but all the disciples. By this time, they should have come to know and recognize that this was not just a man. That this was God in human physical form. Philip, by now you should know this. That when you've seen me, guess who you've seen? You've seen the Father. You have seen the Father. And let me stop here for a moment. Did you know there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there who claim that Jesus never claimed to be God? What does this verse say? Yeah, which means what? We're the same. We are the same. Now I realize, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I understand that. I can't explain all of that, but still, they are identical. You've seen the Father. You've seen me. You have seen the Father. Now remember, God's the one that commanded that to happen. That his light would shine out of darkness into our hearts. That we might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Going back to our text first. So what we need to understand that Jesus Christ is the visible, tangible image of the invisible God. And so that being said, Jesus is the complete revelation of what God is like. Amen. Amen. Now, I must confess, which is simple, I guess, for Jesus to do that. He has a lot more patience than I'd have had. <laughs> Doesn't rebuke them in a hard way. You know, Philip really wanted to see the Father. He really did. Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. That was a longing of his heart. But he wanted to see the Father. He wanted to know that to know Jesus is to know God. But here's what Philip had to come to terms with, and we must too. The search for God, the search for truth, and the search for reality 
ends in Jesus Christ. Was it Pilate who asked Jesus what is truth? And guess what was standing before him? Truth. Because that search ends in Jesus Christ. The search for truth, the search for reality, the search for God. (laughs) What a thought! Hebrews 1, look at verse 3. Thank you, Phyllis. Now, I know we just pulled out one verse here in Hebrews 1, and, uh, but I think even from this verse, from what it tells us here, my question is, who is who in this verse? Who's the who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, notice this. The writer of Hebrews says he's the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person. Jesus also upholds all things by the word of his power. And now that he's finished his work on the cross, he sits down on the right hand of God on high. If you want to know God, you have to know Christ. There's no other way. So without a doubt, Jesus Christ, the Bible is very clear, was the brightness of God's glory. Jesus Christ was and is the express image of God's glory. What do you think that means, express image? Say it again. Amen. A carbon copy. There is no difference. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Now, if you understand the verses, the context of that verse, Paul is talking about Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking very plainly about Christ. And Paul said, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And when Paul is talking about the fullness of the Godhead, he's talking about deity. He's referring to the total deity or all the divine attributes of God. And Paul says all of them are found in Christ. As we consider God's nature, as we consider his person, they're all centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word dwells there in bodily form, it means to dwell permanently. To dwell permanently. Now, I don't, I don't know all the ins and outs about Gnosticism that was being taught in Paul's day and probably a little bit today, but there were those who were teaching there was no way that Christ could have died on the cross, and so when he was on the cross, that really wasn't his body there. I mean, they, there are so many things involved, I'm not sure about that. But Paul is, is certainly refuting that kind of teaching, but he wants us to know that all the fullness of God, all of it, dwells permanently. It continues to live in the human body of Christ. Don't miss that. So important when it comes to our theology. Now remember, wrong theology 
will always result in wrong living. The fullness of God dwells permanently in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fullness of God dwells in the eternal, incarnate Word. Okay, let me stop here for a minute. Let's catch our breath. If you were here the last two Sunday nights, actually we skipped one, the weather was bad, but we're talking about when God became flesh. When did that happen? Say it again. When Christ was born. Christ took on a body. How long will he have that body? Yes and no. Well, but does he have a body now? Yes. It's a glorified body, right. But still, it, right. It's yeah, Absolutely. And, that, and again, I understand that body dwells permanently. Now, it's, it's been changed because he, he's resurrected. But it's going to be for eternity. The fullness of God dwells in the eternal, incarnate Word. What a tremendous thought. Now, here's what blows my mind. Well, let me ask a question. Why couldn't Moses do that? He wasn't God. Why couldn't Noah do that? What about Jonah? I mean, we can keep going, right? Now, here's what blows my mind. And this is such an amazing, glorious fact. It was only in the perfection of manhood that the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus Christ revealed to our faith. Would you agree that Jesus did what no other man could do? Amen. I mean... You know, Moses talked face-to-face with God. Abraham was considered a friend of God. But the question, the problem was, were they without sin? No, Jesus was. And so we think about this. That in the perfection of manhood, the fullness of the Godhead is in Christ, revealed to our faith. Now I have to ask another question. Who else but God would think of this? No one. It simply couldn't be. It's simply the work of God. And we, we have to understand, uh, back in, in Genesis, what is it, chapter 10, chapter 11, uh, God had told them to disperse, spread out over all the earth. And what did they do? What did they try to do? I say it again, Dan. You will stay together. Yeah. <laughs> and they build this tower. Now, I don't, you know, you can believe what you want to believe about that. I don't necessarily believe they were trying to build it high enough to finally reach heaven. But they were going to build it pretty high. And basically make a name for themselves and show God who we are. Yeah. And you know the story. But regardless of what their entire intent was, would you agree man throughout history has been trying to reach God? Trying to be good enough? Trying to strive hard enough? Trying to ascend to God? 
reading through Job a few weeks back. There was a point in Job's life when Job cried out, Oh, that there were days from an arbitrator that can lay his hands on the shoulder of God and the shoulder of man to bring it together. Job longed for that. Of course, he before the days of Christ, but God had a plan. And what was so thrilling to me, when we could not ascend to God, he descended us. Isn't that amazing? He came to us. What a God. No wonder they call him the Savior. He descended to us. In mankind's search to know God, what we need to remember and what all people need to learn is that all we can ever know of God, everything we can know about God, God has presented that to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, what? I'm the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You don't need to look anywhere else, Philip. You don't need for anyone else to come. You've seen him. You've seen me. You have seen him. And because God realized we couldn't ascend to him, God decided to descend to us through the person of Jesus Christ. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And God said, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came to us. And for you and I as Christians who know him as our Savior, and we know what Christ has done that we might be saved, and we know that when we couldn't go to him, he came to us, that in itself ought to give us a burning desire to know him better. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 10. Look what Paul says. Thank you, Phyllis. Now remember, Paul is writing this. And I don't know about you, but I can see the cry of his heart. Paul says, I want to know who. I want to know him. Now remember, who was Paul? The great apostle, probably at one time served the Sanhedrin, uh, schooled in the law, went to the one, one of the most prestigious schools of his time. And Paul said, everything I've had before Christ doesn't matter. We'll touch on that in a moment. But Paul says, I want to know him. Now like I said earlier, when, we, when the Bible teaches about knowing Christ. It's not talking about intellectual knowledge. And even here, Paul is speaking about personal, experiential knowledge. Paul says, I want to know him personally. I want to experience the power of his resurrection. And I even want to experience the sufferings, uh, the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be made conformable to his death. I want to know everything about Jesus Christ, my Lord. 
So Paul's goal in life was simply to know Christ better and better. And you know why? Because Jesus Christ had changed the very foundation of Paul's life. Now remember, why was Paul going to Damascus, or Saul at the time, why was he going to Damascus? Oh, persecute Christians. Kill him if he had to. He had the authority to do that. And he thought he was doing the right thing. I mean, he thought he was on a solid foundation. He was zealous, or he thought so, zealous for God. But along comes Christ, and Christ changed. He rocked his very foundation and changed the very foundation of Paul's life. And Paul said, if anybody can rock my world like he did, I want to know more about him. I want to know more about him. Would you agree that should be our goal too? To know more about Jesus Christ. To know him more fully. Not just know about him, but to know him personally. And I'm learning that is a lifelong process. Because as long as we are in this world, there's more we can know, more we can experience if our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to realize that you and I have been created and now recreated to declare some part of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. What has been revealed in Scripture, Christ needs to be our object of our faith. He needs to be the object of our love. He needs to be the object of our admiration and our adoration. It's been quite a few years ago now, I think it was during the time of our first pastor, Willie Booth, and we had a family visit our church one day. And uh, he and I went to visit with them, and, and they were polite, and, but they said, we're not going to come back to that church. And we asked them why. They said, all you do is talk about Jesus Christ. Now, to me, that was a compliment. Because if you go to church, they don't talk about Christ. You haven't been to church. Because Christ is our all in all. He is God in the flesh. Job 26, verse 14. Job, in the previous verses, he was sharing, and certainly not all-inclusive, but some awesome facts about God. Job had said that God sustains the skies over empty spaces. He said God supports the earth on nothing. God says he uses the clouds to gather up water. He can also cover the moon with the same clouds. Job said that God causes earthquakes and storms at sea. And then he calms it with winds, the sea, his breath. And then Job says he clears the clouds after a storm. I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing. 
And that's just part of the things God does. And Job said, even of all these evidences of God's power over nature, with all these evidences of God's power over things below, over things above, over things on earth, Job says, this is just the outer fringe. This is just a taste of all that he does. And I want to suggest to you folks that we are, we are so distant from God that we hear only a whisper of who he really is. And so it's obvious we cannot fully comprehend all of God's doings, all of his activities in his power. What can God do? Everything. When? Whatever he wants. And after our our best endeavors, after all of our diligent questions, we have to agree with Job and say, how little of a portion of him we really understand. That's our God. And we have to realize the glory of God for man is incomprehensible. And really his praises are unalterable. We can't even say it. I can't say the word unalterable. And, And certainly there are some things that our mind can comprehend and conceive. But even then the things that are only divinely illuminated by the Spirit of God. But what we are able to comprehend, if we can put it in comparison to the fullness of God's glory, would you agree it's only a drop in the bucket? That's the kind of God we serve. But here's what's interesting. Now think about this. Think about this for a moment. What the Spirit of God reveals to us through the Scriptures about Jesus Christ and His glory is better and greater than any other knowledge or understanding we'll ever gain. What was one of the things about the disciples that puzzled the Pharisees. There were many, but what was one thing for sure? They were considered unlearned men. And yet they spoke with boldness. How could they do that? They hadn't learned it in a school somewhere. Nobody had taught it to them. You know how they knew it? They'd been with Jesus. They had tasted of the glory of God. And remember, we talked about Paul earlier. We're going to come back to him in just a second here. His education was second to none. His position in religion, high on the ladder. But look in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Philippians 3, verse 8. 
Paul says, yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. And here's a reason. That I may win Christ. So my question tonight, we think about the Apostle Paul, and you know who I'm talking about. From a human standpoint, did he have any reason to brag? From a human standpoint? Yes. I mean, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, Benjamite. Concerning the law. A lot of zeal there. But there came a time in his life once Christ shook his foundation, Paul regarded everything that he had gained in this life as loss, L-O-S-S, compared to knowing Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? What's Paul saying? Amen. There's nothing like knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing at all. And it's interesting. Now keep in mind, Paul considered everything he had accomplished in his life. And Paul said that I thought about everything I've accomplished. And I'm convinced before Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, in his heart, he felt like he had accomplished all he wanted. He was there. He wasn't just up and coming. He was there. But as he considered everything that he had in life, Paul said, you know what? I made a decision. I'm going to write it off as loss. Especially when he compared it to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Now, I have to ask a question here. <clears throat> At least what comes to my mind. Do you think Paul was sad when he realized he had to write it off? You're saying no, Dan. Why do you think that? I, I agree with you. Amen. Amen. For the first time in his life, he realized he has something more valuable than all his education could ever bring him. Something more valuable than the law could ever provide for him. And so I don't, I'm like you, Dan. I think Paul was overjoyed. And also, another quick question, was he an easy convert? Oh, no. I mean, he came kicking and scratching and clawing. But God got his attention. He sure did. God got his attention. And so Paul says, Everything I've accomplished so far, I'm going to write it off. Because it doesn't even come close to when I compare it with the greatness of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Say it again. It didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter anymore. So what did Paul value the most in his life? 
Jesus Christ. And I think that ought to apply to us as well. Because we ought to value our relationship with Christ as more important than anything else. I got a call from one of our former pastors today. And uh, he and I have been friends since he came to our church, and even since he left here. And he's been to a lot of churches in his ministry, over 40 years of ministry now. I think 50 years now. And he served a lot of congregations. And uh, he said, Brother Ronald, i got to tell you. He said, the relationship I've had with you through the years, I've never had with anybody else. And I thought, you know, what a, what a privilege to know that we can work together hand in hand. And one reason is, because my, my friend who was my former pastor, he values Christ too. And we understand, we understand together the important things of life. And knowing Christ, knowing Christ should be the ultimate goal of our lives, knowing Him. It's been a few years ago now, I think it might have been at one of the dinners we had here at church some years ago, and, and they were giving away some videos, and one was on the life of Billy Graham, and uh, I don't remember if I stole it, or I won it, I don't know how it was, but I got it that night. And I remember watching, I didn't steal it, I'm kidding there, uh, but I remember watching, and at the end of the video, uh, of course this has been quite a few years ago, uh, they asked Billy Graham, if you had to do over again, what would you change? He said, if I had to do over again, I'd spend more time in God's Word. Because it's there Jesus Christ is revealed. And how true that is. I did some reading this past week. And I'm not going to quote it because there's too much there to quote. But it was an article written a lot of years ago by a Puritan theologian named of Josh, or John Owen. And uh, what, he, what he had written really spoke to my heart. And I just want to kind of give the gist of what he had said, uh, not using his own words, but just kind of summarizing them. And he talks about the importance of the revelation of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. And... He, he talks about that revelation, how we have to be careful that we don't get so busy and caught up that we miss it. Because it is so important to our lives. Because the revelation of Jesus Christ, without a doubt, is far more excellent, far more glorious and filled with divine wisdom than most of us can even comprehend. And so we don't want to miss that. And no matter what else we may know, no matter what else man might discover, without that knowledge of Jesus Christ, we still walk in darkness. Christ is the light that God has caused to shine in our hearts. And I better agree with the Apostle Paul. 
compare it to knowing Jesus Christ. Everything else I may have accomplished in life or learned in life is nothing more than garbage. And so that's why Christ has to be the focus of our thoughts. He must be the focus of our hearts, of our meditations in Christ alone. Now remember, one of these days, do you realize we're going to see him face to face? One of these days, we're going to have the blessing of living where he is. Not by faith, but in reality. One of these days, we're going to have the blessing of beholding his glory face to face. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verse 12. Thank you. So according to verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, what do we see now? It's been a while since I've studied Corinthians deeply. But if I remember correctly, they were known, famous for making mirrors. But their mirrors compared to today, no comparison. Yeah, they were doing some kind of metal. And at best, you get a distorted image. Now, I told you in our bedroom, we've got one of them. We've got one of those fold-up ironing boards that go on the wall. And we got a mirror on that one. I like that mirror. It makes me look taller and skinnier. I like to walk by this stand and look at myself. I say, look how good I look. huh? Well, that might have been how those mirrors were. I don't know. But at best, it was a distorted image of what you were. And so Paul says, that's where we are now. It's like looking through a mirror. We see something there. But at best, it's dim. But Paul said, one of these days, one of these glorious days, we are going to see the glory of God face to face. Somebody should say amen. So we're talking about Jesus Christ. The glorious news of how the very God who commanded light to shine out of darkness of creation, through Christ has now commanded the light to shine into our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stop there for tonight. Take a few moments and go to the Lord.